this morning we're going to continue uh, our series that we started together last week entitled Eagerly Waiting. And we began to talk about what does it mean or what would it mean if we began to live a life uh, of anticipation, if we began to anticipate the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we actually began to look forward to His coming with an eager expectation. And we talked a little bit last week about uh, kind of some of the challenges or the pitfalls that happen. Uh, we called them the three characteristics of perverted Christianity, three things that kind of keep us from living with an anticipation, and how that there really is almost a perverted philosophy of Christianity today that has removed that anticipation of His return. And we become so earth-bound and earth-focused that we have forgotten that this earth is not our home. Amen? Uh, there is a heavenly city, amen, that we're waiting for uh, that is really going to be beyond uh, our imagination. And so uh, we began to talk about that last week. And so today uh, we're going to answer the question, what are we really waiting for? When you think about waiting for the return of Christ, what does that really mean? What are we really waiting for? We started last week with this scripture out of Romans, Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And the Bible says, Paul speaking, he says, this is, this is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. For time is running out, so wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I shared with you last week that I am by no means an expert on end time, uh, uh, end time uh, studies or, or theories or revelations, but I do have a biblical understanding of what I believe the Bible says about the end of time and the coming of Christ. And I believe that everybody ought to have that at least a biblical understanding of what the end of time is going to look like according to scriptures. But I do know this, even though I may not know uh, some in-depth details like some people do, I do know this. I know that what Paul said is correct, that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Amen? And that it is time to wake up. How I many know time really is running out? Uh, it is getting closer and closer today. It's a day closer to the return of Christ than it was yesterday, and we are, we, are, we are inching toward the coming of the Lord, and we need to be about the Father's business. Amen? Uh, we, so let's look together in Philippians chapter 3. This is kind of our foundational scripture. And Paul says this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct show that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But look at verse 20. This is where we're going today. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for Him. Y'all say that with me. Eagerly waiting for Him. Amen. We are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior, and He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. So if you look at that first point on your outline, here's the question we're going to answer. What are we waiting for. So if we are eagerly waiting for the return of Christ, what does that really look like? What are we waiting for? Well, in Philippians 3, Paul gives us three specific things that we're waiting for. We're going to talk about those. So let's look at that first point uh, or that next point on your outline. So we are waiting for heaven. We are waiting for heaven, which literally means, I want you to see this, we are really waiting for a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. We are waiting for heaven. The Bible says that we are citizens 
of heaven, right? And so if we're waiting for the return of Christ, what are we really waiting for? Well, we're going to find out through Scripture today. We're going to read a lot of Scripture. We're going to find out today through Scripture that we are really waiting for a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. Now, let me just give you a real quick, uh, just a quick breakdown before we dive into our Scripture. So if you're a Christian and you die now, right, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? So if you're a Christian and you die, then you go to what we call heaven, right? And heaven right now is the presence of God. So when a Christian dies, that Christian die, their spirit goes to heaven, their body is buried in the earth. Right? We're all in agreement on that? So their spirit goes to heaven, their body is buried on the earth, and we call that heaven. But what we call heaven is not really the eternal heaven. Because the eternal heaven is really not heaven. The eternal heaven is a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And we're going to see that today from Scripture. So we're just going to read the Bible together, and we're going to let the Bible speak. Amen? Is that all right? So let's look together in Revelations 21, because this is what we're waiting for. John said this, John the Revelator, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth. Now, by heaven, he literally means when we look up in the sky, the heavenlies. He's not talking about where God lives here. He's talking about the heavenly realm, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky. He's talking about the heavens. He said, I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth, right? Because the old heaven and the old earth had passed away and there is no sea. The sea was gone. So for all the surfers, there's no surfing in heaven. That's kind of sad. No surfing in heaven. Verse 2, that's about the only thing I found out you can't do in heaven, but you can't, you can't surf in heaven. Verse 2, look at this. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and then there's a new Jerusalem, right? Now he's going to go on here. He says, and I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, because one of the greatest things about heaven is that God makes heaven heaven. Amen? How many know heaven without God ain't heaven? So God makes heaven heaven. Look at verse 4, and we're going to hang out here for just a second. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Y'all say with me, gone forever. All these things are gone forever. What are we really waiting on when we're waiting for heaven? We're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that's going to come down to heaven. We're going to live on a new earth in the presence of God and in this new heaven that we're going to live in, the Bible says there will be no death. Right? There will be no death. There will be no sorrow. There will be no crying and there will be no pain. Think about it. No death. No death. When there is no death, that means in heaven we will never have to say goodbye. We'll never have to say goodbye. What are we waiting for? We're waiting on a place where there is no death. 
where there will be continued relationship and fellowship, right? The good news is, is that everybody that we have loved that have went on ahead of us to heaven, one day we're going to spend eternity with them, and we're never going to have to say goodbye. There's going to be no separation, no isolation, and no death, because we are going to get to live forever in the presence of God in a new heaven and on a new earth with a new Jerusalem, which will be the center crowning piece of God's creation, and forever and ever and ever we're going to get to enjoy one another. Amen? We'll never have to say goodbye. No death, no sorrow, no crying, and no pain. I want you to just think about this for just a minute. I believe probably most of us, I'm just going to say, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, I, I, for the most part, I really do enjoy my life. And I would say that most every day, I mean, I just refuse to have a bad day, so every day is a good day for me. And I really do enjoy my life. But I can say there are four things that rob me of joy on planet Earth. You know what they are? Number one is death. Fifteen years ago, my mom died, and I had to say goodbye. In the last three weeks, we buried three people out of our church, and we had to say goodbye. Many of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost children that have died and went ahead of you in death. And death definitely has robbed joy from me. Sorrow has robbed joy from me. Crying, I'm not a big crier, but, you know, I cry sometimes on the inside, not as much on the outside. And pain. All these things, think about the thing, the things that keep earth from being enjoyable are the things that will not exist in heaven. So if you can imagine an earth with no death, no sorrow, no crying, and no pain, you just imagined heaven. I mean, think about your life. Think about your life right now. If this earth, if on this planet there was no death, if on this planet there was no sorrow, if on this planet there was no crying, and if on this planet there was no pain, what you just imagined is heaven. It is a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, and it is the eternal dwelling place of those who have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So the things that we hate about earth are the things that will not exist in heaven, in a new heaven, a new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And that's an awesome thought, amen? Let's look at our next little verse. Let's just read on here some great stuff from the Scripture. Don't you love the Bible? Verse 5 says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Verse 10 says, so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. And it shone with, and it shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. And there are three gates on each side, east, east, on each side, east, north, south, and west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel who taught with me held in his hand a golden measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And then he measured, and he found it was a square. It was as wide as it was long. In fact, its length, its width, and its height were 1,400 miles. So the heavenly Jerusalem is a square 1,400 miles in every dimension. And then he measured the walls, and he found them to be 216 feet thick. 
according to the human standard used by the angels. And the wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. Now, are y'all recognizing that what the Bible describes as the New Jerusalem is what most people describe as heaven? Streets of gold, we're going to read it in just a minute, gates of pearl, right? What we usually use to describe as heaven is not heaven, it's the New Jerusalem, which is the crowning glory of God on the, on the new earth with a new heaven and a new Jerusalem. And it says there, Verse 17, he measures the wall, found it to be 216 foot thick. Verse 18 says, the wall was made of jasper, the city was pure, as clear, was, was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. Look down at verse 21. And the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. That's a big pearl. Some clam was hurting really bad, right? And the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. There's no sun and there's no moon in the new heaven and the new earth. Why? Because the, the Lamb of God is the light. The glory of God illuminates the earth. The glory of God illuminates the earth. And so in heaven, there'll be no sun and there'll be no moon. There will just be the radiant glory of God that will illuminate the entire world. Verse 24 says, And the nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. 24 hours light. I guess we're going to have to sleep. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> verse 26, and all the nations will bring their glory and their honor into the city. In verse 27, and no evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who, who practices shameful adultery or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, right? The old preachers years ago used to say this. They used to say, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people, right? Who's going to enter into heaven? Well, the Bible says nothing evil will enter there. Think about that. Nothing evil. There'll be no evil in heaven. There'll be no evil. There'll be no sin, no perversion, no corruption, no immorality. None of the things that corrupt and defile our world, none of the things that rob us of joy and peace and happiness will exist in heaven. The only ones that can enter into this place, look what it says, are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do I get my name there? I trust Jesus, right? I have to put my faith and my hope in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. That's how I get there. Amen? A prepared place for prayer, prepared people. Look at verse 23. Or excuse me, verse 22. Or, uh, let's just back up. 22 of 1. There we go. I'll get there. And the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it flowed down the center of the main street. And on each side of the river grew, trees, grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. There will be no curse. The curse of sin is removed. The curse of sin is removed. 
Imagine a world with no sin, right? Imagine a world with no shame. Imagine a world with no death, no sorrow, no sickness, no sadness, no perversion, no corruption, no immorality, no pride, no jealousy, no covetousness. None of those things. Imagine that world and you just imagine the place we're going to get to spend eternity in. A new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem where God will dwell among his people. So what are we waiting on? We're waiting on heaven. Amen? We're waiting on a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem where we're going to spend forever and ever and ever in a perfect world like God intended. Amen? Look at your next point on your outline. What else are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus, which means we are waiting to meet God in all his glory. Philippians 3.20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are waiting for Jesus. Revelations 1 gives us a picture of Jesus. John the Revelator saw Jesus in all of his glory because when we get to heaven, the Bible says God will be on the throne and the Lamb of God will be there and they will illuminate the city and we will see God in all of his glory. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to see Jesus in his glory and in his splendor, in his majesty and in his power. And we're going to behold the one that died for us. And in Revelation chapter 1, the Bible describes Jesus as John saw him. He said, And I turned to see who was speaking to me, and I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. And he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest, and his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire, and his feet were like polished brass, bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out, of his, came out of his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. John saw Jesus. And he saw the glory of who he was. He saw him in his splendor. He saw him in his power. Not a, weak, not a weak man dying on a cross, but a resurrected, glorified God, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And the Bible says his hair was white, his, aims were, his eyes were like flames of fire, his feet were like polished brass. In his right hand were seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, which is the Word of God. And his face shone with all the brilliance of the sun. No wonder there won't need to be a sun in heaven. Amen? His face shines. You ever looked at the sun? Right? I mean, you can't look at it long. Why? Because the brilliance of its glory astounds us. I want to just say to you today, unfortunately, many times, we, we many times come casually into the presence of God. But one day, we're going to see Him as He is, and there'll be no casual worshipers in heaven. There'll be no casual praisers in heaven. There'll be nobody in heaven saying, well, I don't know if I feel like worshiping today. I mean, when you see Him in all His glory and His eyes, burn with flames of fire and the thunder rolls from his voice everything in you will shout everything in you will praise everything in you will fall at his feet there'll be no casual worship in heaven because we're going to see him amen that's what Job said if you've ever read the book of Job Job said I've heard of you God but now I've seen you and when Job saw the Lord everything changed look what John did there is a consistent theme throughout Scripture when people really get a glimpse of God. Look at verse 17. He says, and when I saw him, 
I fell at his feet as if I were dead. I fell at his feet. Man, we're not going to be worried about what other people are thinking when we get to heaven. When we see him, we ain't going to be worried about our reputation. We're not going to be worried about what other people are going to think. We're not going to be worried about any of that little foolish stuff that we get caught up in here on planet earth. When we see him in all of his glory, we're just going to fall at his feet. We're going to lay prostrate before him. We're going to worship him. We're going to praise him. We're going to declare his glory. We're going to celebrate who he is. And we're going to be unashamed. Why? Because his presence demands our respect. It demands our full attention. Amen. The scripture goes on. And he says, I fell at his feet. He put his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. One day we're going to see, amen, we're going to see Jesus in all of his glory and he's going to stand before us in his splendor and in his power with the keys of death held in the grave and he's going to say, don't be afraid because I am he. I'm the one that died for you. I'm the one that purchased you with my blood. I'm the one that laid down my life. But guess what? I'm not dead. I'm alive forevermore, forevermore I'm alive. And forever we get to praise the splendor and the wonder and the glory of who God is. But Jesus is not going to be the only one in heaven. Amen. Revelations 4 tells us we're going to see God in all his glory. Revelations 4, 2 said, And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like Jasper and Carnelia. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. There are rainbows around the throne of God. The glory of God produces the color of the world. Out of God's glory comes the wonderful splendor and glory of all of creation. The Bible says heaven and earth declare the glory of God. And I'm excited about that moment because I'm colorblind. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to see the rainbow around his throne. I'm going to see the glory of God around him. And I mean, color's going to pop like it's never popped. You're going to see things you've never seen because out of the glory of God. I said, God, why is there a rainbow? He said, because it is my glory that colors the earth. It is my glory that colors the earth. And out of my glory, God colors everything that we see with his splendor, with his power, and with his beauty. And the beauty of the Lord that we behold every day is just a simple reflection of the glory of who God is, the one who is seated on the throne. Amen? Verse 4 says, And 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. And they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their head. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's there. Amen? Jesus is there. God's on the throne and the Holy Spirit like a flame of fire. I want to tell you something. You thought you have experienced His presence. You've not experienced anything until we get to heaven. You thought you had glory bumps. Your bumps are going to get bumps when you get to heaven. 
The Spirit of God, like a flaming fire, is there in the midst of the throne of God, and we're going to experience Him, and we're going to encounter Him. We're going to be made alive in His glory. Though we fall like dead men, we'll rise in life and power and strength like we've never experienced before. You just think you know God. <laughs> we ain't experienced anything yet, amen? I told you last week, the Lord said, Keith, if you really knew what you were waiting for, you wouldn't want to wait. <laughs> Verse 6, in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal, and in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes. Y'all look at that, each covered with eyes front and back. And the first of these living beings was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And each of these living beings had six wings, and look at this, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. If you cut them, they bleed eyeballs. Inside and out. And day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And I said, God, why do they have eyeballs all over, out on the outside, on the inside? And he said, they have eyes. So as they circle my throne, he said, they need, they need countless eyes to begin to behold the infinite glory of who I am. They circle the throne of God with eyeballs all on the outside and eyeballs all on the inside, and their eyes are beholding the glory of God. And every time they see something they've never seen, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. God Almighty, and forever they circle the throne, and forever they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Man, we ain't seen nothing yet, guys. We got two pitiful eyes. <laughs> Man, one day we're going to see him, though, and we're going to see this awesome display of his glory, holy, holy. Holy. Verse 9 says, And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down. There it is again. There's a consistent theme through Scripture when people see God. They fall down and they worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne. And they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you please. King James says you created them for your pleasure. We were created for the pleasure of God. You and I were created for the pleasure of God. God delights in us, and God finds his delight in us. And we were created to worship him. We were created to serve him. And we were created to see him and know him in all of his glory. And one day when we get to heaven, what is now seen dimly through a, through a glass darkly will be seen face to face. And we're going to see the one that died, and we're going to see the one seated on the throne, and we're going to see and experience the Holy Spirit in a way we've never encountered him before, and it's going to be heaven. Amen. The last thing, what are we waiting for? I want you to see this. We're waiting for glorified bodies, which means we are waiting to be like Jesus. 
Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the, Christ, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior, and he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. 1 John 3, verse 2, it's on the screen, says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We don't fully understand what it's going to be like, but Paul or John said this. He said, we know that when we see him, we're going to be like him. And the Lord just spoke to me this week as I was studying. He said, Keith, he said, your glorified body is going to reveal the, the fullness of who I created you to be. You are going to be perfected in your glorified body. When you get in your glorified body, the person I intended you to be, the individual I created you to be, the gifts, the strengths, all those things that are in you, that have been deposited in you, they are going to be brought to fulfillment. You are going to be perfected in my presence. All the undeveloped potential that we have, all the things that we strive for and struggle for and sometimes may never even obtain, one day when we see him, we're going to be like him. And that person in your heart that you long to be for God, but you struggle to find yourself living up to that mark, when you see him, you're going to be like him, and you're going to be perfected in him. And what you were created to be, you're fully and completely going to be in Jesus. You're going to know what it means to be like him. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they shall be raised to life, raised to live forever. For our bodies, look at this, are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength, Right? They are buried in brokenness. They are buried in weakness, but they're raised in glory. They're raised in the glory of who God has called you to be. They're raised in the strength and sufficiency of God, right? On this earth, the older you get, the weaker you get. Your body deteriorates with age, right? You don't get stronger as you get older. You typically get weaker as you get older. And your body begins to wear out. Well, guess what? In heaven, we're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. The longer you live, the better you're going to get. Your weakness is going to be replaced with his strength. Your brokenness is going to be replaced with his glory. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for a body that never wears out. I talk to people all the time, and they can feel their age, right? Well, one day, you won't feel it anymore because <laughs> you'll be ageless in the presence of God. Amen? You'll have a glorified body. Look at the next verse. Verse 44, they are buried as natural, natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies, right? Natural puts on spiritual. Mortal puts on immortal. Have you ever watched any of those Avenger movies and you see those demigods, they call them, right? They're immortal. You can't kill them. You can't stop them. They're strong. They're super powerful. Guess what? Hollywood's been reading our book. 
because that's what you're going to be like. You're going to be unstoppable, unkillable. You're going to be strong with strength and power. You're going to have the fullness of God flowing through your body. Hollywood doesn't have anything on Jesus, amen? We're going to have immortal bodies. Verse 54, and then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Luke 24, I want you to see this because the Bible says when we see him, we're going to be like him. What is our glorified bodies going to be like? Well, in Luke 24, Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, and he's already received his glorified body, and he's come back to the earth. So in Luke 24, Jesus is in his glorified body. And look what he says, or the scripture says. And just as they were telling about it, because two people had been walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus disappeared from them, and now they run to the disciples, they're starting to tell them what happened, and here comes Jesus. The Bible says, and just as they were telling them, about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. And they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. So if you have a glorified body, your glorified body is going to be touchable, tangible. You're going to be spiritual, but you're going to be glorified, right? We're going to be able to touch one another, right? We're going to be able to interact with one another. We're going to be able to eat. That's right. <laughs> Glenn, you're getting ahead of me, brother. I mean, that's, that's three verses later. I was going there. I was going there. But since you brought it up, I'm glad we get to eat in heaven, aren't you? Right? You get to eat and you don't gain no weight. Ain't that a good thing? All the ice cream you can eat in heaven, Daryl. I don't know if that's right or not, but anyway, sounds good. Man, we're going to have, we're going to have glorified bodies. We're going to be touchable. We're going to be tangible. But Jesus, when you look at his glorified body, he was able to transport from one place to another, right? In a moment, right? You can go from Gatlinburg to Pigeon Forge. You can go from Gatlinburg to Myrtle Beach. You can go from Gatlinburg to wherever you want to go, just like that, right? We're going to be able to transport from one place to another. Beam me up, Scotty. Ain't got nothing on Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, we're just going to think and we're going to be there. And we're going to get to enjoy the earth. All of the earth, places you've never seen, you're going to get to see. And it's going to be uncorrupted. It's going to be undefiled. Right? So this is what happens. On our, we, we, we look at our little 80 years on this earth, and we get so called, well, I never got to go to Hawaii. Well, live for Jesus, and one day you can go to Hawaii as long as you want to go, right? You can go to every place you want to go to. You can enjoy every part of the planet you want to enjoy because you're going to have a glorified body that will be immortal, that will live forever. You're never going to have to be in a hurry. You're never going to have to rush. You're never going to have to do any of those things. Why? Because you're going to be in a place that is outside of time, strung up in eternity, ready to live forever in the presence of God. You're going to have a glorified body, no sickness, no disease. Sandy's going to run in heaven, no wheelchairs in heaven, right? No crutches in heaven. None of that. Why? Because we're going to have a glorified body. So what are we waiting on? We're waiting on heaven, a real heaven, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. We're waiting on Jesus. We're waiting to see him and God in all of his glory. We're waiting on a glorified body where we're going to be mortal in the presence of God. Last thing, I want to give you this final question, final thought. 
So if you choose to live your life apart from Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you've decided, man, I'm not sure if that Christianity thing's for me, I'm not sure if that Jesus stuff is for me, then I want to ask you a question. If you choose to live your life apart from Christ, what are you waiting for? Atheists, agnostics have no hope. There's no life after death. There's no future. There's no promise. There's no better day. I thought about people that believe in reincarnation. I thought, how sad. Who would want to come back to this earth? Solomon said that life on this planet is short and full of sorrow. And he was right. As much as I love my life, our lives are short and full of sorrow. But here's the good news. This world ain't our home. This is not what we're living for. This is not what we're living for. Let me give you a couple scriptures. First Corinthians, Paul said this. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul said, if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we're of all men most miserable. He said, there's got to be more to this life than this life. Jesus didn't die so we could have a good life. Jesus died so we could have eternal life with him in a place called heaven, a new heaven, a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. If this is all it is, we're miserable people. But I'm glad to tell you today with 100% confidence in my heart, this is not all it is. Amen. There is more. Let me give you one last scripture here, Ephesians 2. Several verses. I just want to read it to you. Paul says it so eloquently. He says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among with the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And that's how you live. If you're here today and you've decided to live your life without Christ, you're living without God, and you're living without hope. But verse 13, he says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. And together as one body, Christ reconciled both Jew and Gentile to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward one another, toward each other, was put to death. And he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far off from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Apart from Christ, we have no God, no hope, and no promise of anything to come. But in Christ, we are citizens of heaven. In Christ, we're going to see Jesus face to face. And in Christ, we're going to experience a glorified body where we will never die. Let's just bow our heads this morning. If you're here today and maybe you're living apart from Christ. What do I mean by that? I simply mean that Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life. He's not in charge. 
Maybe he's your consultant, but he's not your Lord. Maybe he's your partner, but he's not your Lord. Maybe he's your friend, but he's not your Lord. It is only when Jesus Christ becomes Lord of your life that we experience the saving grace of God. Yes, Jesus wants to be your friend. And he wants to consult you, and he wants to partner with you in this journey of life. But all of those things only happen when he becomes the Lord of your life. The Bible says we have to believe in our heart and we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Keith, I don't have anything to hope for because I realize this morning that there's no hope without Christ. But today I want to trust him. Today I want to put my trust in the one that died for me. I want to put my trust in the one that went to the cross for my salvation and my redemption. And today, I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. If that's your heart's cry right now, with every head bowed, I just want you to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith today. I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God bless those hands that are going up all over this building. Just keep your hand up for just another second or two. I want to give you just another moment if you're here today and you want to pray to accept Christ. Just raise your hand, a simple act of faith. A simple act of faith that says, I want to trust Jesus today to be Lord of my life. We're going to get ready to pray together. We're going to pray all out loud. But if that's you, I want you right now just to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three, and then we're going to get ready to pray. One, two, three. If you've raised your hand, you can put it down right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask everybody here today to join us. Let's pray this prayer out loud. If you raise your hand, this is for you. If you believe in your heart and confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you can be saved. So let's pray this together out loud. Here we go across the entire room. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose again on the third day to be my Lord and my Savior. So I ask you today, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior. Lead me, guide me, and take me where you want me to go. I am yours, and you are mine. I receive by faith today the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen.